evidence and answers. If there is a loving and powerful creator God, why is there so much decay and suffering? Why does God allow death and suffering to continue? This is one of the most profound questions critics ask. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today's teaching is taken from the 2023 Evidence and Answers Apologetics Conference. Pat hosts this conference each year and brings out Christian scientists and scholars from across the country. Remember, if you missed any part of this broadcast, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and look up the 2023 Evidence and Answers Apologetics Conference. You'll see all of the messages displayed. Now let's get right to part two of Dr. Hugh Ross's discussion regarding why the universe is the way it is. The law of decay is optimal for allowing the formation of stars and planets. That's one thing my quantum physicist friend was able to discover or accept. If you don't have entropy, if you don't have a pervasive law of decay, stars and planets won't even form. And if you want life, you have to have stars and planets, and therefore you have to have some level of decay uh, just to get the stars and planets forming. And as an astronomer, I was able to explain to him, these stars and planets cannot form unless the rate of decay is extremely high. It must be higher than any rate of decay we can measure here on Earth. The highest rates of decay that we can see in science are in the cosmos, uh, not here on planet Earth. But they must be that high for stars and planets even to form. And when we come down to planet Earth, we need an extremely high level of decay for plants to be able to produce the food that we eat and for animals to be able to digest the food. I mean, for example, when you take food in, we're basically using that food, burning it, to produce energy that we can produce for work. But it's at an extremely low level of efficiency. It has to be in order for us to build it. You don't want too much heat in your stomach, for example. Uh, so we need these very high level rates of decay. But it says, what I find really interesting, the optimal level of decay we need in the universe to get stars and planets and plants and for animals to be able to consume the food that plants uh, provide so that we can efficiently uh, perform work. The optimal level of decay there is identical to the optimal level of decay we need to restrain evil as efficiently as possible and to be able to prepare humans for their ultimate roles in the new creation. Now, I was able to share with them my testimony how I wasn't raised in a Christian home and, but I began to study the different religions of the world and how only in Christianity do we have a two-creation religion where God creates the universe, the first creation, as a tool in God's hands to eradicate all evil and suffering. Then there's a new creation, once evil and suffering been eradicated, where he takes redeemed humans and the righteous angels where they will dwell forever. And it's a realm uh, where evil will never be experienced again. But to me, the amazing thing is, God has designed the physics of the universe in such a way that not only is evil and suffering eradicated, the free will capability of human beings is enhanced so that we can experience a far greater degree of love and express love in the new creation than anything that's possible in this creation. 
And so I pointed out that the decay rate is not so high as to discourage us from productive work. I mean, I don't care what career you're in, what occupation you have, whatever you have as a way of a career, everything you do, all the work you do, it will decay. I mean, I write books, but I know that within a few decades, no one's going to be reading my books anymore, and the books will all decay away. So there's a time limit on the work that I produce. And, you know, my wife is always trying to get me to do yard work, but one of the things that really discourages me from yard work, I can spend an entire Saturday afternoon attempting to get the yard the way she looks. I, I can tell you, one afternoon won't do it. But two weeks later, I've got to do it all over again. I mean, it especially happens here in Hawaii. What I've noticed here in Hawaii is how much yard work you've got to do to maintain the beauty of what we see here in Hawaii. And, you know, for a lot of us, it's like, who cares? It's all going to decay in two weeks. But God has made sure that the decay rate is not so high that all of us give up and say there's no point to doing any work. The work lasts enough that it begins to have an impact. But the decay rate is not so low as to let the human sin go unrestrained. The decay rate is high enough to ensure that the more sin we commit, uh, the more pain we experience. I mentioned this briefly last night. Because of the law of decay and the very high level of decay we see in the universe, it works in such a way that the more sin we humans commit, the more pain we experience, the more work we do, and the more time uh, that gets wasted. And we are biologically designed that none of us likes extra pain, extra work, or wasted time. And what I'm talking about here is Whenever any one of us sins, we do damage to our environment. And where we experience the more pain, the more work, and the wasted time is repairing that damage. It also explains why the Bible tells people who are in authority, you know, parents, the government, the police, the army, their role is to ensure that those that commit the evil are the ones that experience the more pain, the more work, and the more wasted time. And I think I can share with all of you who are parents, have you ever noticed how skilled your children are of trying to transfer the consequences of their sin uh, to you? So you wind up doing the extra work. Uh, you wind up being the one who wastes time and uh, experiences the pain. The role of us as parents is to ensure that our children are the ones that have to undo the damage that their sin has caused and discover, hey, this is painful. It's extra work, it's wasted time, and uh, this was what motivates them not to do it in the future. But there's another lesson we can gain from this, something you see in the book of Job. You know, Job realized these uh, truths just by looking at what he saw in the natural realm. But he also recognized no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't deal uh, with what nature was telling him to do. The laws of physics were telling him, uh, hey, you need to avoid sin because the consequences are not pleasant. It's something I share with my sons when they're growing up. If I don't discipline you, the laws of physics will. Uh, they'll take over, and you, you know, it's not going to be that pleasant. But what Job discovered is, as hard as he could try, he couldn't do what the laws of physics were motivating him to do, to avoid evil and pursue virtue. But as he looked out at the nature, he said, there's a God out there, as I just shared, a God who's very powerful, a God who's knowledgeable, a God who's intelligent, a God who's caring and loving. And he reasoned, 
okay, I am incapable of doing what the laws of physics are encouraging me to do, to avoid evil and pursue virtue. But there's a God out there that cares for me, that loves me. He's loving enough to do for me what I can't do for myself. He's powerful enough to do for me what I can't do for myself. And he's intelligent and knowledgeable enough to figure out a way to do for me what I can't do for myself. So as Job has said, by the way, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, it's got uh, the historical books. Genesis is the first of the historical books. Then you get the wisdom books. Job is the first of the wisdom books. Then you got the prophetic books. And so they're all ordered chronologically, but Job is actually older than the book of Genesis. We know that because in the book of Job, the patriarchs are doing the sacrifices, not the priests. And we don't have nations, we have city-states. That's just a two of several evidences that the content of the book of Job predates that of the book of Genesis. Another one be, look at the poetry. It's written in a poetry that's designed to be easily memorized. I think it was the young man Elihu who was memorizing the debate between Job and his three friends and had it verbatim and therefore was passed on generation to generation until Hebrew became a written language. I mean, if you look at the Hebrew poetry in Job, it really is designed to be easily memorized uh, word uh, for word. But it was Job who determined, I'm not able to do what the universe is telling me to do, of what the laws of physics are telling me to do, but there's a God out there who can do for me what I can't do for myself. So as you see in the 19th chapter, as he declares that he's putting his confidence and trust in the creator of the universe to do for him what he can't do for himself, he says, I know there's an advocate between me and God. There's a redeemer who's prepared to deliver me. I'm putting my faith and trust in that redeemer. He will do for me what I can't do for myself. Well, in the course of this uh, two and a half hour flight I had with the German quantum physicist, towards the end he says, I've asked you eight questions. You've got to tell me, why do you have such well-prepared answers to my eight questions? And I says, well, your eight questions are chapter titles in a book I wrote. <laughs> and he said, no way. There's no way I believe you. Well, I just came from a ministry trip. And you know, when I go on a ministry trip, there's my briefcase down there. When I go on a trip, I fill it with books to give away to people that I meet. Uh, that I think will help them in their journey to find Christ as creator, Lord, and Savior. This is the end of the trip. All I had left was two items. But one of the items I had left was this one, the book, Why the Universe is the Way It Is. So I said, take a look at the table of contents. He opened it up and said, oh, those are my eight questions. <laughs> Moreover, they're in chronological order in which I asked them. <laughs> I said, well, you're not the first person I've talked to that's asked these questions. And I, you know, as I share with people, my rationale for writing books is engaging people who are skeptics, who are unbelievers, finding out what their questions are, and my book writing is basically designed to equip believers as well as unbelievers to have good answers to those questions. So he looked at that, and I said, you can keep that. That's the last book I got, but it's yours. And he, said, he grabbed and said, thank you. Then he said... Yeah, by the way, his English was flawless. But he said, would you happen to have anything in German? And I said, well, I got one other item in my briefcase, and it happened to be the only item that we have that's in multiple languages. 
Uh, it was a DVD, a documentary that we actually produced on Mauna Kea on the Big Island. I got permission to uh, go to the Keck telescope uh, years ago. They even allowed me to climb up on the telescope so we could film this uh, documentary, Journey Toward Creation. And uh, we have it in 11 languages. And I was able to give him, he says, one of the languages is German. So he was able to take that home uh, with him. And the whole point is that heavens proclaim his righteousness and all people see his glory. Uh, I noticed that was a passage that uh, Richard put up as he ended up his message. It's one of my favorite passages. But the point I want to share with all of you is if you prepare good reasons, and God will use the good reasons you prepare, whatever reasons you prepare, he'll put that to use and develop that gentleness and respect. And people have often asked me, okay, I get the preparing good reasons part. I can just borrow them off your website or get them from your books. How do I get that gentleness and respect and a clear conscience? I said, that's why God has chosen us to spread the gospel and not the angels. If he wanted it done perfectly, he would have sent the righteous angels. They're not sinners. For some reason, God chooses to send us who are sinners to be the ones to take the gospel to unbelievers. But what I've discovered over the years is through sharing my faith that I begin to work on my problems with developing gentleness and respect and a clear conscience, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so what I would encourage you to do is you know, begin to share your faith. And by the way, the first time I shared my faith, I made a lot of mistakes. I embarrassed myself. But that's how you learn. And get feedback. I remember one time when I was just brand new on the Caltech campus and was engaging a bunch of graduate students and postdocs about my Christian faith, and uh, I got embarrassed. But I've got some feedback and just said to the atheists that were there, can you help me? Uh, where do you see the weak spots in what I was sharing with you? And they were very eager to point them out. <laughs> and I said, I also want your help on you know, my demeanor. Can you share with me where I've been maybe a little bit arrogant or obnoxious. And again, they were very eager to tell me. <laughs> so get that kind of feedback. And there's one reason why Jesus sent out people in pairs to share the gospel. Because we can help one another. Say, so, you know what, uh, next time we do this, could you please avoid that or could you pursue this? And so seek feedback uh, from your fellow believers. And also be aware of who else might be listening. So, for example, we were in first class, we were in the uh, second row, and uh, what I was not aware of, there were two people behind us who were listening to every word that was going on in the conversation. And so be aware that there's bystanders there, and to be open to sharing with them. Because I've often been in situations where I've been sharing with someone, say, on the airplane or in the airport, and uh, they were not receptive, but there were people listening that were receptive. And so be prepared to realize there may be unexpected people uh, that you can share your faith with. We are going to have a Q&A time, but I notice on my clock here, I've ended a bit early. I wonder if I could take a couple of questions from you, and then uh, we'll actually save the time so we're going to be extending Q&A the whole year. But if any of you have a quick question, I'll take it. So with the moderator's permission, I'll take two questions, and then we'll bring up everybody here, and that will give us a little more extended time for a Q&A with the whole panel. I'll be real honest. I'm, um, I've been a Christian a long time, 
But other than real close family and friends, I've not been bold enough to share my faith. And, you know, I, I, I've had a chance to travel quite a bit also, too. And I'm not an astrophysicist. Is there a way that we can start, you know, like a question to start talking to strangers to yes. get them to engage with us? Okay. Good question. I'm glad you asked that. How do you get a spiritual conversation going? So when I'm on an airplane, and it's, it's a little more challenging now because they've got these seats where the people can put their smartphones up and they immediately start, watch, start watching a movie. So you don't want to be rude and interrupt what they're interested in. But you know, I've been on airplanes where they just get bored with what's on there and they put it away and then you can open up a conversation. People love to talk about themselves. And so ask some questions. Where are you flying to? Uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, what kind of family do you have? If you ask them enough questions, time will come where they'll ask you questions. I mean, the kind of the story I told uh, today is a bit of an extreme example because he immediately introduced himself as an atheist and as a quantum physicist from Germany. You don't get that from everybody on an airplane. <laughs> but you can get the conversation started by asking questions. Uh, ask some questions and you'll begin with questions that are not too personal and if you see they're receptive you can get more and more personal and so it's a way to get through to people because they realize okay I'm interested in them and uh, you know I'm not just trying to promote myself I'm actually showing genuine interest and by the way non-Christians can spot when you're actually doing it with an ulterior motive so it's important that you basically have a heart just to get to know people so just ask questions and be aware that people like to talk about themselves. And sometimes I have to wait a long time before they ask me a question, like 40 minutes. Because <laughs> so, some people really like to talk about themselves. Uh, and you just trust the Holy Spirit to give you the opportunity. And also recognize there's times when the Holy Spirit is telling you, this door is closed. And so look for some other opportunity that might be there. So this person might not be listening, but someone else might be listening. And uh, look for that as an opportunity. Uh, and one thing I do to try to get start conversations, start, I'll open up my computer. I might be working on a PowerPoint or a keynote, and people looking over there and saying, hmm, what's that all about? Uh, I remember on one flight, uh, there was a geologist behind me. He started looking at me, can I ask you some questions? And so a conversation got started. And then the flight attendant came down, and she wanted to ask questions. And there was actually one flight I was on where I was able to give a lecture to everybody on the flight. <laughs> so, if you want to see some stories, my wife and I put out a book called Always Be Ready, where we talk about stories, but really do it in the context where we're trying to take the focus off of me and just say, this will happen to anyone. Anyone who prepares good reasons, Anyone who has a heart for reaching non-Christians for faith in Christ and is willing to try to develop the character of gentleness and respect, you will get these opportunities. And so what I've done in the book is to share stories from my life, but also to share stories from the lives of many people uh, within the church where I serve as a pastor. Basically making the point, this works for everybody. In fact, I kind of look at 1 Peter 3.15 as a promise. God is promising us, if you will develop good reasons, and if you will work on building that character of gentleness and respect, 
He will perform miracles for you. And you'll see God doing amazing things. And one of the things I've learned as a pastor is that Christians need to see God working miracles in their life to strengthen their faith. I mean, you see it in the book of Exodus, is that when people were seeing God performing miracles on a regular basis, they were walking with the Lord. When they had a long period when they were not seeing these miracles, they began to drift away. I think that's true of all of us. I think that's also another reason why God gives us his exhortation, always be ready. Because we need those opportunities. We need to see those miracles happening in our lives in order to build the character of Christ. God is preparing us for the new creation. A huge part of that preparation is building the character of Christ in our life. Because when we get to the new creation, it's a realm with no sin, uh, no evil. And let me just throw one other thing out here. One of the questions that came from this quantum physicist, he said, well, you know, couldn't God have given us a way so that not so many of us, because he was aware that the Christian message says most people will choose not to spend eternity with God. He says, couldn't God have done it a way where everybody gets to spend? He says, yes, he could. He could have made us all robots. But God created because he wanted to express his love. He wanted strong love, which means he had to give us strong free will. And with strong free will, you'd run the risk that lots of people will say, no, thank you, I want nothing to do with you, God. But God's goal is in the new creation, we would experience not weak love, but strong love. So that's the reason why he gave us such a strong free will. But he also gave us all the tools we need to be able to be prepared to go into the new creation. And as Paul says, when we get there, we will be rulers and educators of the angels. We get to directly experience the grace of God. The angels only get to observe the grace of God. As Paul says, the angels are intently watching us to learn about this great mystery of the grace of God. It's still mysterious for us, but a whole lot less mysterious because we directly experience the grace of God. So right now we're lower than the angels. In the new creation, we'll be higher than the angels because of the training we're getting here on planet Earth. And as Paul says, do not undervalue the years you have here on planet Earth. It is preparing you for an incredibly important career in the new creation that will last for all eternity. Let's throw it open to the general audience. Thanks. I don't really know how to form the question, but do you see, I see that you're showing us God's signature in, in space. And it's beautiful, and the more that you know, the more you see it. Can you see that biological, like small and molecular? Do you see a correlation between the two and God's signature? I see it in all the sciences. I mean, I was asked to come here to focus on the astronomical evidences, uh, but you know, I give lectures on the life sciences, you know, social sciences. We see it in all the sciences. And I'm glad you mentioned the word beauty. We see beauty throughout all the sciences. I mean, one of the things that really gets my astronomer friends who are not believers, why are the galaxies so beautiful? In fact, they refer to them as grand design galaxies. Well, where did that grand design come from? Where did that beauty come from? What about these amazing colors we see? And we see it all over here on planet Earth. The animals, the plants are incredibly beautiful. God's beauty is evident everywhere. And he gave us human beings unique capacity to appreciate the beauty. 
I mean, my pet cat doesn't seem to care two bits about the beauty, but he gave that uniquely to his human beings. We alone are created in the image of God. And people often ask me, well, where do you see the greatest beauty in all of the sciences? The equations that describe the physics of the universe. This is where the greatest beauty, in my opinion, is evident. The elegance, the symmetry, uh, the beauty of these equations. So that's why I think every one of you should take some classes in higher mathematics. today has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Would you or your church be interested in having Pat speak or host an apologetics conference? Just give him a call. In Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And while you're there on our website, take a look around. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, you can find a link to donate on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.